Hello, my name is Adam Kaufman, and I'm thankful you're joining us today on the Up To podcast. I want to tell you about a group that I'm grateful for, and that is Town Hall, Cleveland's most popular restaurant, and one that I can say is the only place my wife tells me she can eat every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Town Hall was the first all-non-GMO restaurant in the U.S. a few years ago, and they're now expanding into Columbus, Ohio soon. I'm also very selective about who we choose to partner with for this podcast, and it was with open arms that I embraced the idea of partnering with Bobby George and Town Hall. To learn more about what they're up to, you can visit townhallohiocity.com. Hi, I'm Adam Kaufman, and you're listening to the Up To Podcast. I've been fortunate throughout my career to be networking and serving and working with some of the most successful and influential leaders in America. Eight years ago, we started Up To as a live event series which showcased leaders who I thought were as humble as they are successful. The humility piece is very important as we identify these leaders who can hopefully inspire others. And over the years, we've interviewed trailblazers from the fields of medicine, from business, from the military, nonprofit leaders, from politics, and more. We really focus our interviews on the non-business aspects of their lives, and we found that there's a real thirst to explore their hearts and their minds in maybe atypical ways. So time and again, attendees of Up To asked us to expand the event so that more people could participate and benefit from the special conversations taking place. And that's why we started this podcast. Our guest today has had nothing short of a remarkable career. A three-peat entrepreneur, a five-time author, and a marketing industry expert, Joe Polizzi is a household name at some of the world's largest companies, including Microsoft, Walmart, Discover, and Marriott. In 2007, Joe founded Content Marketing Institute, an organization aimed at marketing education and training, as well as responsible for hosting Content Marketing World, a major conference that annually brings together 3,500 attendees from more than 60 countries. Polizzi's professional success has centered on the concept of content marketing. We'll spend a lot of time on that today. He coined that phrase more than 15 years ago, and now the strategy is a component of most marketing campaigns and is taught in marketing classes and implemented by businesses and marketing consultants worldwide. One of our guest books, Epic Content Marketing, was named by Fortune Magazine as a five must-read business book a couple of years ago. He also enjoys public speaking. He's even spoken at more than 400 different events, and we'll delve into his nonprofit work today also. When not speaking in person, Joe is recording This Old Marketing, a podcast with a confusing name, but is very influential. He co-hosts with Robert Rose, where they discuss content marketing trends, strategies for businesses, and the latest on what's happening in the industry. Following the sale of Content Marketing Institute, Joe turned his focus to the Orange Effect Foundation. Joe and his wife, Pam, were inspired to create the foundation after their son, Joshua, was diagnosed with autism at age two. The Orange Effect issues needs-based grants to 175 families a year, wow, throughout the U.S., who desire speech therapy for children with speech disorders. Joe, welcome to the Up To <laughs> podcast. Did you write that yourself? What because have you been up to? That was a lot of detail because that's more than what my bio says. So you, you've you gone through the depths of the internet to find all kinds of crazy information about me. But thank you for having me. I'm honored. Well, it is a show featuring leaders who are as humble as they are successful. And you truly are humble. That's why we invited you. But I wanted the listeners to hear 
about our guests' accomplishments. I knew you wouldn't share them. So all of it was true, though, right? <laughs> all of it was accurate? It's Yes, it's it's fairly accurate. People, the one thing that about content marketing, a lot of people say that I coined that phrase. Technically, I did not coin it. It was used in 1995, but probably I popularized it. And, it, you know, we were lucky. It took off, and uh, it was needed, and and I still love everything about the industry because a business, you know, we can get into some of the details of it, but the idea that a business can develop a loyal audience and a trusted audience by putting out their own content, just like you are with this podcast, but they're doing it. I'm going to give a gift to my customers, yes, and we're going to create this loyalty and this communication bond with my customers. Right. And if we do this really well, my customers will buy all kinds of additional things from us. And that's what we've seen companies do successfully. And I just, I just love giving out value instead of saying, oh, I have all these things to sell. Would you buy them? We're going to delve into that uh, extensively. But at the beginning, I always like to ask our guests uh, if they've ever been on a podcast before. You have your own show and you've been on many others. Did you tell me that you've been on 200 shows? Probably around 200. What do you think of the medium of podcasting, this long-form conversation? Let's just look at it from an audio standpoint. Audio as the channel, I think, is the biggest opportunity going forward. No no doubt about it, because it is the one area that people who listen to whatever they listen to can also multitask. I can listen to it while working out. I can mow the lawn, whatever they're going to do. Right. You've got the home appliances, like you've got the, you've got Amazon, you've got Echo, you've got uh, Google Assistant, you've got Apple. They're all creating these home devices, right? The last I heard, one in every four households has some type of a device like that. And those that do have two or three in their house. We need more audio content to fill the speakers of those systems, let alone what we're doing right here in a podcast, which is growing year over year substantially as more people listen to podcasts. So I can't, as you could tell, I can't rave about it enough. I think it's a huge opportunity. And the one example that I share is when I used to go out and do speaking events, whatever country I was in, I would get people coming up to me afterwards and say, Joe, we love what Content Marketing Institute's doing. Or Joe, I I love your last book. It was fantastic. Or I, I love your blog post. As soon as we started this old marketing podcast, that all stopped. It was always, we love the podcast. I mean, almost 99%. So I can't rave on it enough just from my personal experience, let alone what I'm, you know, you and you're talking to people, your podcast is growing like crazy. It's it's just amazing what's happening. In addition to the Up To podcast, which is, of course, one of your favorites, what else do you like to listen to? (laughs) Fantastic. Um, I, I flip, I look for the guests. So from a comedian, oh, you look for the guests. I look, I look, so so I love the James Altucher podcast, but I'd always look at who the guests are. So similar to the guests that you have on your show, I'm looking for an insight. Maybe it's something financially okay. I'm looking for. From a I need a half hour of downtime. Conan O'Brien's podcast is fantastic. It's funny you say that. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm on a five hour drive tomorrow. So today I was downloading podcasts to listen to for my drive, and I searched for people not with like a show loyalty. And I searched, I have to confess, Howard Stern. Oh, yeah. And yeah. A, a Conan O'Brien interview of Howard Stern came up. So I downloaded that today. And that's a good one. I've listened to that one. I mean, it's fantastic. It's, Do you think Conan O'Brien downloaded our episode for himself? You know, that would be uh, that would be interesting to find out. Yeah. Let's just leave that one hanging. Dave Doug, <laughs> our producer, Dave Douglas, will take care of that. Exactly. We got to make that happen. Right. 
That is interesting, though, on a serious note. You search for the content, not necessarily a show. You don't always listen to the same show. Yeah, I probably have, am subscribed to about, let's say, 30 podcasts. Oh, that's a lot. And then uh, I'll see in the in the new new episodes, okay, that one, I'll go maybe five, and I'll, oh, this one I want to lo- uh, listen to, so I'll download that one, that one, that one. But I would probably say I listen to three or four podcasts a week mm-hmm. at this point, mm-hmm. and I always do when I'm running. Right. So I, I, Working out is the most common. Yeah. That and traveling is what I hear when people listen the most. And I don't mean to stay on the business of podcasting here, but it seems relevant because it's one of your areas of expertise. In researching you, found in several places, we were joking about it before, but the godfather of content marketing is what you've been called by many. How do you think about that? I mean, you're a young, you're younger than me. I mean, do you, how, how are you a godfather of anything? I mean, it's, it's a compliment. Well, first of all, it's really strange. The first time that somebody introduced me, and it was for a speaking event. I was a key, keynoting some event. This is about 2012, 11, 12, or something like so that. So you, you, how old were you in 2012? So, third, let's see, I'm, I'm 46 now. Okay. So, whatever. Yeah, so, you, so, so you weren't even 40. Not even 40. Not and you were a godfather. Mm-hmm. So, that, so that happened, and it... But, and I'm going out on stage and I'm, and I'm thinking as I'm going. So I wanted, I wanted to be focused on the speech. I wanted to give a good performance. But I just heard somebody call me the godfather of content marketing. I said, what the heck is, the, is that? Right. I was like, it's, some, it's like James Brown. Somebody's going to come and cover me up on stage. Is that how it's going to work? Uh, and then somebody tweeted it out. And mm-hmm. then it just took off. And now... I was like, well, what do I do with that? And I just leaned into it. Yeah. So people brace it. So people. There are just, worse things you could be called. Well, people. Just, well, the other thing is, I got from the Content Council in 2014. I got the Lifetime Achievement Award, and I'm like, whatever, 43, 44, and I'm like, what do? You, so when you get a Lifetime Achievement Award at 43, do you are you done? Hang it up. You know, I've had a good life. Mm. I guess uh, I guess I'll just hang them up and, and do something else. No, it's it's, well, we, <laughs> it's been, we, it was a great honor, yeah, but it was it it's curious. We know you haven't hung it up. We uh, are aware of a lot of the different things that you do, different settings, written form, podcasting, live events. You speak at events as varied as major keynotes in Eastern Europe. You have something coming up to small town chambers of commerce events. Do you ever think about? who is being influenced by you or who is your audience? Do you think about that that much in the big picture? Well, there's there's two ways I think about it because I have to go back to when we were growing Content Marketing Institute. So I'm an entrepreneur. We're trying to grow the company. We had a goal to sell that company. So I'm thinking about this from a marketing perspective. I'm thinking about who's the audience? How can we provide them value on a, on a consistent basis? So growing my network was part of the business model because I'm out there. I'm supposed to make it rain so I can help everyone else out. Right. So that's the first part. And then... Not that I retired or anything, but in 2018, I took a sabbatical and took some time off. I want to spend more time with the family. And now as I'm starting to create content again and be, being maybe pickier about where I speak, all I want to do is affect people in a positive way. So if that's a small business owner in Willoughby, Ohio, I want to absolutely do that. If that's a, a marketer for one of the largest companies in the world and I can help them with their job in some way, I want to do that. And um, a content marketing world uh, in 2019, Henry Rollins, the, the punk rocker. So to- that's your big conference for our listeners who don't understand. You have an annual conference 
and it's called Content Marketing World. Content Marketing World. It's held every year in, in Cleveland, Ohio. They get about 4,000 marketers from all over the world. Tremendous. That, that come, and one of their keynotes this year was Henry Rollins. And, uh, and I suggest everyone look him up. And the he's rocker. A, he's a great content producer. But he said something about, he said, said, my goal in life is to deliver as much value to my audience as possible. And I want the content to be so good, I'm going to change their lives. And I just listened to that and I'm like, yeah, that's that's what I wanted. That's what I want to do. Okay. I don't have a business. I don't have a business goal right now anymore. Of oh, I got to get the podcast. I'm just just trying to be helpful. Just trying to affect people in a positive way. And and what's great about this podcast and other things that I do, you get the opportunity to do things and to reach people that you'd never have the opportunity to do. You have that fifteen years ago. Now. Twenty. I mean, 15, 20 years ago, this would not have been possible. What what we did at Content Marketing Institute or what we're doing right now. So it's just, it's just wonderful. It's an exciting to, time. It's wonderful to have, to, to talk to people that you'd never get a chance to meet. Well, let's back things up a little bit. Back before you started your business, your first business, you were working inside a somewhat large company. Was there a moment when you decided you wanted to go out on your own and start a business or were you always wired that way, do you think? Or is there something that really crystallized your motives to make that big leap. I was a I was a kid that had a notebook with me at all times. I still do, and I always uh, scratched down business ideas, hmm. which were all silly, like oh, I want to start this newsletter for farmers or whatever it was. And I would scratch this stuff down all the time. And I had an opportunity. I was working at a big business to business company. So this is, uh, what year is this? This is 2005, 2006. And I've got two small kids at the time, three and six. So I'm working in the corporate environment, learning about marketing. And I kept talking over and over to my wife about, boy, this, this business idea, uh, I really would like to do something with that. And, when, and she finally told me, and this was in 2006, she said, Joe, you keep talking about this every day. Right. You need to make a decision. Either go do it and stop talking about it. So that was about a year of thinking about it? So about, of that particular idea, mm -hmm. of just thinking about it. And so it what, takes some courage, though, to make the leap and leave oh, that yeah. secure paycheck every two weeks environment. Well, entrepreneurs will understand this. You, you wait. As a first time, or I hadn't been an entrepreneur yet. I've been thinking about it my whole life. I was waiting for the right moment. And as you know, you know the right answer. There is no right moment. There's always something that gets in the way. Because I'm thinking, oh, my kids, they're, you know, three three and five, three and six years old. They're, there's no way. Now is not the right time. I, we can barely afford our mortgage. Risk, reward. And, you know, is one of the reasons is my wife believed in me enough in this crazy idea. She said, look, we'll be okay. You know, we'll, we, we, did the, we had the bologna and ramen noodle years. Uh, and we made it through and we cut corners and we said, oh, we can live with it. We have both one car. I mean, not. But it's great your wife had buy-in. So she was with you on this big decision to, to leave the corporate oh, structure. Yeah. She was, she supported me. We, I, I finally said, okay, this was the end of 2006. I said, okay, we're going to do it. And we agreed together as a couple that by the end of March in 2007, I would make the decision and jump. You gave yourself a deadline. And and I gave notice in February of that year. And what's funny is my last official day at the corporate in, in the corporate environment was the last day of March in 2007. And on April 2nd, 2007, what became known as Content Marketing Institute began. Awesome. Which, so there are a lot of 
would-be entrepreneurs who listen to the show, I hear from them, and they're still inside that corporate world, and they haven't had that April leap yet that you just yep. described. So what, what do you say to them about their own analysis of should I do this or not? And I know it's hard because you don't even know these people, but any, any words of wisdom now that you're on the other side of that big decision? Well, I could say no regrets or go big or go home and all those cliche things, which I totally believe in, by the way. Uh, but I think the most important thing is what, what, who do you want to be? Who do you want to affect? Who do you want to be? Who do you want to affect? Who do you want to affect in a positive way? When you see yourself in five years, what do you see? Ask the, ask the tough questions. questions. Yeah. Because the one thing, uh, and you, know, we, you and I have talked about this before, I'm a big, big proponent of goal setting. Yes. And I have my goals uh, in different categories, and I keep them in a notebook at all times, and I review those goals on a daily basis. And so I would tell those would-be entrepreneurs that, first of all, figure out wh what are your career goals? What are your financial goals? What are your— Independence. What are your, yeah, what are your spiritual goals? You know, look, at, look at all of them. What are your family goals? What are your, what are your physical goals? I look at all those things because it's not just about— career and financial with entrepreneurship. It's a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. So you, it affects everything you do. So once you have an idea of really what you want, and by the way, these answers don't come all at once. Right. And it didn't happen overnight. No. It, but it, that's what we're asking for now is your wisdom looking backwards yeah. now. And you yeah. have the ability to do that. To start with, that. So I knew that I wanted to start a business and uh, not your own never boss. report to anybody right. again. Right. So that's a goal I could write down. And so let's just take that one goal. So at the end of every evening, before I went to sleep, I would read that goal. You so did, that, okay. So that, so that I would subconsciously think about that in my brain. A lot of was, times when you watch like Olympic athletes right after they perform their gold medal winning feat, they say they pictured themselves crossing the finish line or yep. doing the triple flip. So you were you were kind of envisioning you making this big decision with this goal. I'm totally into the whole visualization thing. So if I if I review that the night before and I review it when I get up in the morning, what it does is, and it, you do make a lot of decisions without thinking when, when you have this in your brain and your brain is thinking about it's it. part of you. So let's say, for example, that that's your goal. Your goal is, is that um, you want to start this business at some point, whatever it is. Well, maybe... You're not going to dig into email first thing in the morning because you got to work on your project. That's good. Because you'll, so then you'll say, the goal dictates your the decision goal making. dictates your behavior or, or this, and this has affected me. It's like, maybe I shouldn't dig right into Facebook and Twitter in the morning because I need to work on this other project somewhere or this, I need to write this article. I need, because that's my goal that I just read. Maybe, it makes a huge difference. Maybe I shouldn't eat pizza tonight because I'm giving a speech in Geneva next week and I want to look a little less heavy on stage. Oh, my God. It was, it was so funny about that. So I'll tell you one of my physical goals, one of my physical goals, and I've had this goal for 10 years now, is to stay in 34 pants. <laughs> because, and, I, and I've struggled with that. There was a time very recently that I was busting out of my 34 hours because I was eating way too much pizza. Yes. And I'm like, okay. I'm reading this goal. I'm not abiding by it. What do I need to do? I need to exercise a little bit more. I need to not snack so much at night. So you make some changes. I'll tell you what, it works. It seems almost silly because no, it's like it does work. writing this thing down. And but I and I also say write it down. I actually use a pen or a pencil and paper 
Because writing that down, I believe, in the research that I've seen really helps in addition to reviewing it every day. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, the last thing I would say to answer your question is, tell some people you love. Tell some people in your life what you're trying to do. So some that accountability. They, so that they can support you. Right. Um, and, like that. It, and that does make it. So I would tell my wife, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to stay in 34 pants. So maybe we sh you, you can know, give me some heat when I want to eat pizza. Yeah, give me right. some heat. Yeah, right. maybe that chocolate cookie is not a good idea, but that chocolate cookie looks so good right now. So you, <laughs> you're, you're you're touching on something I planned on bringing up. That's your three R's, this yep. goal setting. I, it drives my family a little crazy. I have lists. All, I have weekly goals, monthly goals, oh, daily yeah. goals. I actually write things down in part for the joy of being able to cross the line through them, and it just feels good seeing the list of things that are mm -hmm. complete. So what are the three R's? Tell our group our audience here about your three R's. So that's, yeah. So I've, I have a speech that I've been giving that, and I've written a lot on it. And I talked to entrepreneurs um, who I mentor about this strategy. And this is the good, this is the way that you start as I think as just being a productive human being. And the one is record. We just talked about that. Write down your desires, whatever they may be in those categories we just talked about. So that's, that's record. The second one is review review those goals on a regular basis. We just talked about that. And then the third one, which we haven't talked about, is remove. So what... Is that the crossing through that I just mentioned? A or? part of that, but the, the bigger thing is what is in your way that you're not accomplishing those goals? Oh, I so see. remove that. So for example, I'll give you an example. Remove a barrier. One of my friends wanted to accomplish something in their lives, and they told me that they didn't have any time. But then as we were reviewing what they were doing on a daily basis, I said, okay, well, according to what you're telling me you're doing on a daily basis, you're watching two, three hours of television a day. Mm. And I think that that's stopping you from accomplishing your goal. They didn't really realize it. It was just an, oh, I'm, I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm watching this on YouTube or I, I watch this series. No, but I want to, I love Big Brother. I got to see Screen time. Whatever, screen time. Yeah. And I'm like, that's fine to have some screen time, but you got to realize that two to three hours a day is really valuable time. You have the time. You have to make some decisions to get rid of. So, so that could be, I have people in my life that are a bad influence. I need to get rid of those people. Like it or not, that's going to happen. I'm doing things in my life. Maybe there's health things that you're doing. You're eating things. You're, you're drinking things. Whatever it is, you have to get rid of those things to accomplish number one and to review and make number one happen. So those are the three R's. They're so incredibly simple. I've been doing this for 20 years. Did you come up they with those ideas work. on your own or did oh, someone no. teach that to you? Do you have any mentors? That I, I I mean, I'm a, I, I'm a voracious reader these days. So, uh, I mean, I, I look at uh, Stephen Covey. You know, you can pick, pick all that up from, I mean, I've read Stranger in a Strange Land, Robert Heinlein, which is a fiction book, which I pulled some of this stuff out of, which I absolutely love. Um, number of other books that I would recommend. I love Seth Godin from a marketing standpoint. He talks about these things a He's lot. He's really into planning and goal setting yeah, and doing, absolutely. achieving a lot. Yeah, so th this is nothing new. You can find this on any self-help self book. It's, hard, it's harder to do than people realize. Well, I tried to do, all that I did was I simplified it for me and this process works for me. I mean, I, I use, when I speak, I use uh, Bruce Lee the martial artist, as an example, because he wrote down, he called it his chief aim. Martial artist slash movie star. Movie star. So in 19, uh, I can't remember the date, 70-something, 70 72, 73, he wrote down his mission, 
it basically he set his goals. He wanted to be a movie star. Or something, wanted to right? be he wanted to be the the biggest Asian movie star on the planet. Right. And he wanted to have more. I think he said to more than ten million dollars. And he wanted to be the most successful ever. Well, he accomplished that goal something like four years from when he wrote this. Pretty quickly. Unfortunately, he passed away soon after that. But he accomplished all of those goals, and he did it because he wrote it down and he reviewed it on a regular basis. And I'm like, wow, this is just amazing. Tremendous. This is just so simple. You're listening to the Up To Podcast. We'll be right back. Right now, I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about Calfee, Halter, and Griswold, a full-service corporate law firm with attorneys throughout Ohio and in Washington, D.C. Calfee's mission has been to provide meaningful legal and business counsel to entrepreneurs and investors, private business owners and nonprofits, public corporations. I've referred many successful entrepreneurs and investors to Calfee knowing how well they'd be taken care of. And it's for those reasons that I would encourage you to visit their website, calfee.com. That's C-A-L-F-E-E.com. Thank you very much to Calfee. During the first season of the Up To podcast, I had several companies and entrepreneurs approach me about potential partnerships, but I'm really selective before choosing to do something like that. One choice we did make happily is to partner with Vivid Front a full-service digital marketing and website design agency based in Cleveland that works with both local and national brands. They've built their entire client base on referrals, and they've won a lot of awards, including the 2019 Inc. Magazine Top 5,000 Fastest Growing Companies, North Coast's Top Places to Work, and several others. They're known for their talent. They're known for their creativity. They're known for their culture a firm I liked before we agreed to partner together for the show. Check out vividfront.com or you can email me and I'll introduce you to their dynamic leader, Andrew Spott. Welcome back to the Up To Podcast with Adam Kaufman. Our guest today is Joe Polizzi. So you, in starting Content Marketing World and the Content Marketing Institute, what came first, the idea for a conference or a company? I've been really anxious to ask you about that because I love live events. So uh, I don't want to go too far into this because I could tell you the whole story. But in 2007, the initial thought was we were going to offer a matching service. It was kind of like the eHarmony for content marketing. Okay. So that's what was, we were actually launching a product. Well, it failed miserably. It didn't work at all. I couldn't get the agencies to pay for the service. It was like a lead gen service for content marketing agencies. Couldn't get them to pay for it. And in 2009... I'm ready to give up. I'm Mm. actually looking for a job. I'm like, this is not going to work. I've totally failed. So I felt sorry. So how many, that was, let's see, 2007 you started. So it was two years. Two years later. Okay. A little over two years later. So I didn't know that. So you actually had a little bit of a curve in the road. You had had to navigate there. I mean, I had to do the pivot like that you hear the, so in 2009 had this moment where I'm not going to make it. And then I. Who were you leaning on then to help you? Uh. Was that an well, alone situation? Because you know, the phrase it's lonely at the top really is a true phrase. And the higher the top, the lonelier it can be. So I'm always interested in knowing how people get through moments like I, that. I was basically, my wife, my you wife's could, my best you, friend. You could lean on yeah, her. Yeah, I was leaning on her, but I wasn't telling anybody else. I certainly didn't tell anyone I was looking for a job because mm. I thought that, oh my goodness, this is yeah, the pride, biggest form of failure yeah. that I have to go get. But, you know, we had, we couldn't, we couldn't pay the bills. I had to figure something out. We were totally in the red with this thing. How many employees did you have at that? No, moment? we had none. We were okay. all con- we were all contract based. Okay. 
And then I'm like, okay, well, I, I started, I took about two weeks and then I started to look at the feedback coming from my blog and people sending me emails. So my blog, luckily, I st- at the same time, I started a, a regular blog on content marketing and I was starting to build an audience. And I'm like, okay, nobody's buying this stuff. Nobody's using the service that we're trying to launch. What do they really want? And I just started to listen to my audience, which was the first mistake. I should have done that in the first place. Listen to your customers. Some phrases withstand the test of time because they're true. (laughs) And I started to listen to them and looked at these emails that they were sending me. And they were saying, Joe, we really need content marketing training. Our our staff doesn't understand it. Joe, um, is there an event for content marketing. Joe, is there a place that I can go for regular information on how to improve my content marketing skills? There's a real hunger for what you were about to do. And then I said, oh my goodness. It was, and I came from media, Adam. I was like, it's looking at me right in the face. I didn't do it. And I said, and I remember because I think I was having a drink at the time when this whole idea came to me. Because I wrote, Coke. I wrote it on a, I wrote it on a cocktail napkin. Okay. And it said, okay, we are going to be, and this is when I wrote down that goal. I this said, is your Bruce Lee moment. This is it. I said, we are going to be the leading providers of information in the content marketing industry. The number one online destination, the number one in-person event, and the number one print magazine. So that was in 2009. We launched Content Marketing Institute officially in May of uh, 2010. In January of 2011, we launched the magazine, Chief Content Officer. And in September of 2011, we launched Content Marketing World, and we accomplished all those goals by basically 2013. So in four years, you hit your BHAG. Yeah. That's tremendous. It was a miracle. Well, it, it was some resilience on your part, some humility knowing you had to pivot. And then execution, you clearly had to execute well on your ideas. What do you think led to the success of the live event? Me, I have this observation in the digital age we're in, with everything available at our literal fingertips, there's a real thirst for in-person curated content. And the higher the, not the higher the level, the more discerning the individual, the more thirsty they are for trusted content. So I feel more than ever these live events can resonate with people if done right. Is, is, that, is that what you have found? I am, well, I'm totally biased now, but I am a huge believer in events. And whatever, whoever's listening to this, whatever industry you're in. Convene you, people. You need to make it a point in your career and your growth and whatever you're going to do to go to the events in your industry that are important. So I always say, because the basically by October, you'll know what events are going on the next year. You should sit down and go through. Here's the events I have to make it a point to go to. Prioritize your year. Because content marketing world would not have existed, would not have grown unless in 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, I was going to all these events, meeting all these people, because all those people that I met ended up speaking at the first content marketing world and helping to make that a success. So This podcast, I have guests that I'm really surprised are willing to fly here to be with us because I met them in other settings at other conferences and started a relationship. So I, I know what you mean. And I think we, uh, we as an American business society, we underestimate still the value of live events, even though Wall Street Journal, Fortune Magazine, they're now in the events business. That's right. But there's still plenty of room in the marketplace, I think, for more. If you were going to say outside of audio content, I would say in-person content is right there. 
because you're right, with, especially with the social media and people communicating on a regular basis, these people still want to meet each other. Yes. We are human beings. Right. We need social interactions and we just can't have them social all digitally. Social media doesn't solve everything, right? No, but it can lead to really good in-person situations, which is what I would recommend to Do you think it was a hard decision to sell content marketing institute or was that something that was obvious what you should do do you mind talking no, about that no i don't mind bit? i i talk about it a lot entrepreneurs often really struggle with that decision to sell or not so i made the decision early on and it was one of my goals my financial goals to sell the company so when we started the crazy business matching service in 2007 i had the number that, that i said basically by 2015 i wanted to sell the business. Oh, so you even had a time goal before yeah, you I, achieved that scaled success. I had a time goal and a number goal. Okay. I said by this time for this number. So I knew when we got in, when Content Marketing Institute and Content Marketing World started to grow, I knew the revenue and the profit that we had to get to in order to go and take it out to market. Now, unfortunately, we didn't hit it in 2015. We hit it in 2016. I was one year off, but reading that goal on a regular basis. Helped. Yeah, helped drive I'm, you. You make decisions based on that. Now, some entrepreneurs don't want to sell, but what I when I talk to entrepreneurs, I say, you don't have to sell, but you need to have an exit strategy. Should have, like, is it going to your kids? Is it, do you have partners? Because you're not going to do, you're not going to be around all the time. You're not going to do this. What's your legacy going to be? Just Think about those things. And usually when I talk to entrepreneurs, most of them don't even have what the exit's going to be, let alone that they're going to sell. Well, none of them. I mean, my day job is venture capital, and none of them have a date in a dollar amount like you apparently did. No. That's that's amazing. It, it's a lot easier to make the decision to sell when you made it five, you know, seven years before it was even an inkling that's of tremendous. a possibility to do that. So that's what I would recommend. If, like, you, if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this, you'd say, I, at some point I would like an exit for $10 million or 15 million or whatever it is. Write that down. I mean, that could change. You can change it. Yeah. But right now, no if that's what you want. other than you. Yeah. Or you want to keep this and, and you want to, to give it to your son or your daughter. When Go you're, public. Fine. Yeah, go public. You should have those things now because you have to start making decisions now so that in year 10, you can reach that goal. Now, I know that after you sold and before now, in between, you had a bit of an unplugged period mm -hmm. in your life. Yep. What was that like? Like, what inspired you to unplug? I know you were totally off the grid, but you did really scale back a lot of things. It was... November and my last official day at Content Marketing Institute was going to be the end of 2017. And everyone was asking, Joe, what are you going to do? What's next? What's next? And so that's how I thought about the idea of a sabbatical because I was talking to my wife and I'm like, I don't know what to tell them. And then we thought about, you know what? Let's, let's really spend some time with the family not focused on doing anything and really, you know, take the time for you. What an enviable position wow. to be in. And by the way, anybody can do it, but we can talk about that in a second. So I, so I basically said, okay, I'm going to do the sabbatical. But part of that was the first 30 days I was going to completely dis disconnect. No social media, no email, no phone, only used phone for messaging for my kids and my wife. So for, a, it. A, for the godfather of content marketing, that is particularly hard to do. I mean, it's hard for anyone, but this was your life, yep. marketing, social media. It was, I was always being on. It was, I was itchy the first couple of weeks, but I'll tell you what, once I got through that itchiness period, it was, 
I can't recommend it enough. Do you think now you might do that like one week a year or you might keep some aspect of that in your return to I, all of us in the crazy world of Excel spreadsheets and selling and closing deals now? I, I do a, a couple days a week where I'm not doing anything. Awesome. So basically, th th I mean, we're this is today's a Friday. Friday's sort of a work day for me. Thursday and Friday are work days. Basically, Monday and Tuesday, no. And I mean, you, were, you were able during this 30 days to make your kids school lunches every day or breakfast, did you say? Like you saw them every morning? Just every morning. Uh, I still do school lunches. That's my thing. I don't, nobody's taking that away from me. I'm, awesome. I'm getting up in the morning. I wake them up in the morning and I do their lunches. And my job in the house, like, and that's what was interesting because I was traveling all the time. I traveled more than 50% of the time. In more my, than 50. Well, I'm 50%. That's a lot. It is a lot. You know how it is. So I wasn't around to do the laundry, to be around, to, to do some of the things around the house that need to be done. Right. And so now I'm home and I'm talking to my wife about some of these things and she's doing her, what she's always done. And I said, I said, I need some jobs. I'm not smart enough yet to just notice things. So we agreed that there were certain jobs like doing the dishes. Like she's not allowed to touch the dishes. I do the dishes. If she, when she does the dishes, I get furious because I'm like, you took my job. That don't take my you job. Need, you need your space. I need I need those types of things. Um, and then on the other eleven months, we had a we my wife and I and and the family we had a bucket list of all the things we wanted to do as a family. We took a cruise together. We did we did uh, roller coaster um, trips. Mm. My son loves roller coasters, so we went to all kinds of amusement parks. I spent more time with the kids, and I felt I got to know them. How do you put a price tag on that? That's just it's, tremendous. And I tried. I'm trying. I, I'm hopefully I'm doing a good job trying not to lose that. All of it, right? Uh, as we go on, but what I would people always and I, and I get it. I could make that decision because we didn't have any financial uh, constraints. But what I would say is, anybody can take a weekend. Anybody can take a day. So put the phone down. Put work away. And really think about what's Good really what's yeah. really important to you because Just that's what I say time. you can anybody can take a sabbatical but most of us I see I see a lot of my friends that they, they're working always they're on. working Friday night Saturday Sunday they're checking their work email all the time I'm like man to what end your family's right here right they're gonna your kids are gonna be grown up and gonna be out of the house in two seconds so you ended the unplugged period uh with some meaningful memories and some ongoing aspects of your home life, which is terrific. But what have you been up to lately? I think you were writing a novel. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yes. Um, my, I've written, I've written five books, all nonfiction, all marketing mm -hmm. books. And I always had a goal that, you know, I've talked a lot about my wife and my best friend on this podcast, but she never read any of my books. She never would. She never interested in reading my, reading my books. And, and I, and I said, my goal. Did you write this for her? I wrote this for her. Oh, so I wrote. Hilarious. I know it's kind of sappy, but touching. It's <laughs> yeah, I can tell. It's no, it is. It, it. I'm like, I really want her to read a book that I wrote. Isn't it hard though to creatively? I mean, it's certainly a different type of writing than nonfiction, which is either your opinion or facts that occurred. So nonfiction is not terribly difficult because I write every day mm -hmm. on a write a blog, usually blog post almost every day or every other day. That's that's not a problem. How do people subscribe to your blog post, by the way? Oh, just go to joepolizzi.com. Okay. You can subscribe to my new thank you. Just subscribe to my newsletter. It's right there. Got it. Um fiction is so much different. And so I, I asked some friends, first of all, what do you do? How do I write a fiction book? 
So Were I, you inspired about a certain topic or I had theme? An, or? I had an idea. Uh, it was about a marketing guy. Imagine that. And I grew up in a funeral home. Uh, my my grandfather and my uncle were both funeral directors. This is true, or this is, this a, is true. a story. Okay, this is a true story. Okay. So and I and I had an idea to bring the marketing world and the funeral home world together. Oh, okay. So I sort of had an idea for it, and I go to my buddy, and I said, "What should I do?" And he said, "Well, what you should do is you should you should take the scenes and and write like an outline, and then you write out those scenes." And I said, "Okay, great." So I get back, and nothing. Nothing happens. I couldn't write. I had total writer's block. And this happened for months. Like, I really could not figure this thing Where out. Where would you write? In your home office or in, in my, a coffee shop? I tried shop everywhere. Or, I right. tried. First of I all. I asked because I've tried yeah, too. It, for, initially, it was just the office. And then that didn't work. And I said, well, let me go to Panera Bread or Starbucks or something or Five Points in West Park. No, nothing that's good. I'm like, what? Okay, this is not going to work. And then I listened to, and I can't remember his name, but it was a James Altucher podcast. And it was a writer. And he said, look it, here's my advice to any writers, would-be writers out there. Just sit down and write at least 500 words and whatever it is, just write. And I'm like, okay, I'll give that a shot. And wouldn't you know it, after the first couple of days, I started to get into a rhythm. So he, he was saying 500 a day. 500 a day. Okay. So I would write, I wrote 500 horrible words the first day. And then... 500 equally crappy words. The Were you next still day. at a coffee shop or what was Now I'm in the office. Okay. Now I'm in the office. So. And would you tell people, like, don't bother me? Because I one time thought I would write a book. This is before I went the podcast route instead. And I decided I'm going to go to my favorite town of San Diego and have a personal retreat and write so much. Yep. But I forgot to tell the world that I was doing this. And so I still got inundated with all of my normal work uh, stimuli, emails, calls, texts, et cetera. So I got nowhere. It ended up being just a nice vacation in San Diego. There you go. So so I blocked out the time. That's smart. I started, well, once I got into this rhythm, I'm like, okay, I can do this. And so basically every morning for two hours, I would stay in my office and my and my wife knew. It's like, don't bother Joe. Yeah, you're writing. So I'm writing. And right. the kids are in school, so no big deal. Especially since you're writing for her. Well, she didn't know this at the time. She knows now. Well, she she'll know when yeah, she, she... She knows because she read it already. And, Is the book out? Is it done? So it's... Um, it is done. I just finished the final, final version. I had multiple editors go through it, multiple reviewers. Congratulations. And it'll be out in mid-November, and I'm releasing it in audio, of course, oh, after this conversation. Yeah, but it'll be released real, real as an soon. audio version. November. It'll be recent. Uh, What's recent the title? Audio version. Are we allowed to uh, yeah, yeah. preview it's the called title? The, it's called The Will to Die. The Will to Die. It is, it is a mystery thriller. The main character is called Will Pollitt. And he's a marketing guy who runs an agency. After you a little bit? I don't know, maybe a little bit. At least my experiences. Does so he wear a thirty-four guy. jeans? <laughs> he's, he's a good-looking bald gentleman. Um, so yeah, it's uh, been a great experience, and that was the learning from the learning from me was the whole do the scene thing never worked for me. What worked for me is just every day grinding it out. And what happened is the initial thought for the idea is nothing like what turned out. So I'm in the middle of this book writing and I come downstairs, I talk to my wife and I said, oh my God, you didn't never believe what the character did today. She's like, don't you know you're writing? I'm like, no, I had no idea. It just happened. This is the kind of stuff. And so the, the book is totally different from the original idea. So you had this uh, pivot in the storyline that isn't in the same goal three R's listing that you put your regular nonfiction life in. That's right. So it's yeah. a more creative side of your brain and your heart maybe coming out through the, the fiction. The only thing that I did was, well, one of my goals was, 
I wanted to finish my novel, my fiction book by the end of 2018. So that was the goal, which by the way, I didn't hit because I was still writing it. So I read that all the time and I'm like, well, what, what does that mean? Like, what do writers do? And all I learned was writers write. So my daily goal is get up every day and write whatever it is. So that's, so that's the process. If you think about how do you take a big goal and break it into chunks? My chunk was Monday through Friday, every morning for two hours, I would write at least until I got to a thousand words. And then I actually finished the first draft, I think the third week of January. So I missed the goal by three weeks. And now it took six months of editing, as you know, to go through that process. And so it's a little bit of both. Yeah. One of my goals today was to make sure we talked about the orange effect. So tell us about this foundation you and your wife lead and what the mission of Orange Effect is. Well, thank you. The, the Orange Effect Foundation is dedicated to providing grants for children with speech disorders for families that can't afford them. So most of the kids that we provide grants for are between the ages of two and seven. A lot of them are on the autism spectrum. And the families don't have the insurance and don't have the funding to pay for regular consistent speech therapy. So that's what I believe in. So that's what my son, who is diagnosed at two years old, he needed regular speech and play therapy to now he's 17 and he's looking at colleges. His things are fantastic. Tremendous. But without that speech therapy that we could afford at the time, I don't so know. insurance, oh, people who don't have insurance well, can't. Some insurance don't cover all of it. So maybe, for example, they'll say, well, we'll cover one a month or two a month. Well, frankly, you need one or two a week mm. to really make an impact. So what we do in Orange Effect, we'll say, we will at least cover one a week. So we try to cover 52 sessions. Tremendous. For somebody. And so we're a fundraising organization. We don't do the work. We identify the need. We get all kinds of applicants on a quarterly basis. And we've got a great board that reviews all these. And then the money that we get goes straight to the speech therapist or the hospital. Do you ever get to meet the families who benefit from yeah. your donations? What's that like? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty humbling, actually. I've seen video. I saw the one that I met is about a month ago. I went out to Cleveland hearing and speech. And some of our kids are out there. And the the one I've seen in videos, but I didn't meet in person. And I was able to meet to him, him and her. And the advancement that they made from going to not being able to have a conversation with somebody to actually talking to me was just, you know, mm. kind of doing God's work. And it's just a little thing. It's a little thing that people don't think about. Helping teach somebody how to communicate. They can't figure it out because their brains are wired but a little different. to the different. family benefiting from it. Oh man, it's, it's, it's huge. Yeah. We get the family. I mean, when we do our, we do, I have a golf outing every, every August and the families come in and you, you know, everybody's crying and it's just, you know, one of those types of things. But we, do you think about legacy much? You're young, but you are a godfather, so to speak. <laughs> so do you think about <laughs> legacy? David Brooks, one of my favorite writers, thinkers, former White House speechwriter, he, he talks about the two documents, your resume and your eulogy. Which do you spend more time working on? And this is like a legacy initiative here with your foundation, clearly. Um, it's not a resume, <clears throat> resume pursuit. I, I, don't, I don't think about it as, although I need to start thinking about it as clearly as, as Mr. Brooks does. First and foremost, I always think about my, my two boys. Because that's, I mean, it begins there. That it, it starts there. So, do I, can I sit with them in the morning before they go to school? Can we have family dinner together? So, those are the things that I think about now spending time. 
You know, Orange Effect is is one of those things. Spending time with my wife and the people around me. Do the and, boys get to be involved in the foundation now? They're a little bit older. Yeah, I mean, so Joshua was the star of the whole thing, and God bless him. He is okay with us using him and the the latest campaign we have going on. We're trying to fund sixty kids. Sixty kids, and uh, it it's, it costs about twenty five hundred a kid for a year to cover their. Uh, speech therapy. And, you know, he's the, we took home video, home videos of him and put it together and then get him talking from, you know, grunting and squealing at age three and not having a vocabulary to telling a joke at our golfer autism event in August, speaking clearly and well understood. And, and uh, he's, and he's a good, happy kid. Most important thing. That's what I think about is how many kids like Joshua weren't able to to have that opportunity. You know, your energy level is constantly high, but your posture even goes to another level when you talk about the foundation. It's, it's really uh, noteworthy. What is the website for our listeners to visit if they want to learn more about? Uh, yeah, theorangeeffect.org is, or Orange Effect Foundation into Google. Okay. You'll see everything when we'll, you get we'll to the site. We'll put it on our website yeah. too. Thank you very much. Well, I want to thank you. The hour almost has gone so fast. Oh my goodness, that was fast. And I only uh, wish we had more time. I may have to ask you back. Thank you for being with us today. It's been a true pleasure, Joe. Anytime, my friend. Congrats on all your success. Thank you. You as well. What a jam-packed episode today. Joe is so easy to speak to. These are the things I'm taking away from our conversation. Number one, writing down your goals and sharing your goals with the people you love will help you achieve them. Number two, pay close attention to people or events in your life that may be distractions. Number three, everyone should make it a point to attend the most important event in your industry. And finally, number four, Joe explained that anybody can take a day or a weekend to unplug and to just focus on the people most important to you. I could do a better job with that. I love getting feedback. I tell everyone I accept all forms of feedback and we get it in the form of text messages, phone messages, email messages, and of course, live conversations. And I do like to periodically share some of that feedback with you, our listeners. Today's feedback comes from Sam Corey, the CEO of Rebel Development Company. And he wrote, I listen to five new podcasts per week. And your up to episode with Doug Holiday is the first one I've ever decided to save. I've already listened to it twice because there's so many life lessons that he shares. I want to incorporate them into my own life. Wow. Thank you so much, Sam, for sharing that with us. I'm thrilled that you found that episode to be so valuable. So for any of you who do want to provide us feedback, you can email me directly at adam at uptofoundation.org. And I hope you will consider rating and reviewing our show wherever you listen to the podcast. It really helps us. Up To is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to our producer and audio engineer, Dave Douglas. I'm your host, Adam Kaufman, and thank you so much for listening to the Up To podcast. <laughs>